Hello, readers and writers. I am Professor Grandpa Tonio, the book guy and the writing guy, and today I have the pleasure of introducing you to an author who has written many different kinds of books for children, tweens, and teens. The author who is with me today is Gloria G. Adams. Writing, as you'll soon discover, is just one of Gloria's many talents. She has worked as a children's librarian, and she's currently a freelance editor at Two for One Kid Critiques, a service she established with her colleague to help writers. She's also a gifted storyteller, and to make her busy life even busier, she created Slanted Ink, her very own independent publishing company that specializes in brightly colored, entertaining books that encourage children to strengthen their reading and their critical thinking skills. Gloria G. Adams grew up in a small town in Ohio, just a couple of blocks from Lake Erie. On her website, she tells us that the only way to reach the public library, one of her favorite places, by the way, was through a dark, damp tunnel that ran underneath the main road. It sounds awfully scary. <laughs> She says she probably read every book in that library. She considers that library experience as a clue that she would grow up to become a librarian. And may I add, a lover of books, reading, and writing. Welcome, Gloria G. Adams, and thank you for taking the time to meet with me today. I'm delighted to talk with you today about your life as a writer, and also about other aspects of your career in the great world of stories and story making. Well, thank you, Anthony. I am very honored to be doing an interview with you. Well, great. I'm so glad you, you could take the time to do this. I guess one of my first inklings is to say, what kind of a childhood did you have that led you to your fascination with books? Well, I think it was because I was an only child until I was 10, and my dad was in the military, so we moved around a little bit, and reading was, you know, one of the things that I could do. We didn't even have TV till I was seven, so books were where I went for my entertainment and to learn stuff. Oh, wonderful. Sure. Great start. When you were that age, what books attracted you the most? Well, I was really into Nancy Drew when I got into elementary school, <laughs> very much. And we were only allowed to take out one at my library because it was very small, which drove me nuts because I would take out one and I'd read it in a day and a half or something. And then I'd want to go back and get more, you know, <laughs> but I did love Nancy Drew. And now today I love mysteries. So I guess that's where I got it. And I love fairy tales and Anne of Green Gables. And of course, when I was a teenager, I loved romances. So. Oh, yeah, that sounds like you were right on schedule. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what about writing? When did, you, when did you know that you wanted to be a writer? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, I know in, in high school, I did a lot of poetry writing, you know, angsty teenage kind of poetry. And I wrote a lot when I was in college. I was an English major. So probably sometime in high school, I really wanted to be a writer. Everybody told me, though, you couldn't make a living at that, so... You know, I let it go for a long time. Yeah. Did, did you have any writing teachers that you remember, or did you just do this on your own? 
No, just, just I had some really great English teachers in high school and in college. Very creative people. They let me let me do my thing. I think I did one paper as a letter. It was on the book of Job. We were doing existentialism. And I wrote it, uh, Dear Mom, You Won't Believe What Happened to Me, and all the horrible things happened to Job. And, and my professor just loved it. He thought it was great. But then I had other professors that wouldn't have liked that. You know, they want just the straight stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been there. I was in English. Yeah. Oh, you, you were a professor. I, yeah, I well know. <laughs> well, speaking of your attraction to books, you pursued a career as a librarian. And about this career, you've noted being a librarian was one of the best jobs in the world. What makes you feel that way? Well, for me, it was the perfect niche. I think because I could be with the books, I could help kids find the books they loved. That was one of the really great parts. Um, Story Hour was wonderful. I could be in the worst mood possible and I'd go in and do Story Hour. And you, you cannot do that as an unhappy, grumpy person. <laughs> you have to be upbeat and singing and doing finger plays and reading books with a lot of expression and interacting with the kids. And after that, you're just a happy person. <laughs> so it was a great job. A lot of creativity in that. You know, I believe that. I mean, I see it all around me whenever I go into a children's room in any library, whether I'm in Arizona, Ohio, or Iowa. So, I mean, it's, I'm always amazed. You, you really caught my attention when you wrote, quote, I believe that reading to children and helping them become strong readers is one of the most important things we can do, end quote. What do you believe children, in, and, and also tweens and teens for that matter, gain when they become skilled readers? I think it's a foundation for just about everything. You have to read not just in every subject you take in school, but you have to read instructions on how to build something or uh, warning signs, things like that, it translates into every area of your life. And if you're a stronger reader as you go into school, I think you're a more successful student. And if you're more successful, you'll feel better about yourself. I think it just um, kind of snowballs into just a better experience for kids. Wonderful. Yeah, I always think of it, too, as this great connection that we make with the world around us. You, you, you also established Slanted Inc., which is your independent publishing company. What did you set out to achieve there, especially with the series of attractive, uh, what I call full-color books you've written for young children? Well, I wanted to keep the independent books separate from the other books that I do, the traditional books. And then the Boost My Reading Skills series has a section in the back that tells parents extra things that they can do to help enhance the reading skills and ask critical thinking questions, break words into syllables. There's a lot of strategies that you can do to help kids become a better reader and more involved in the books. So I wanted, I did that as my part of my job when I was a librarian and I wanted to have books that would do that because a lot of parents, they'll read to their kids, which is great, but they might not know extra things they can do to make it an even more productive experience to make their kids stronger readers. So that was my motivation for that. I have a, a video of a librarian reading to her kids one of my books, and she shows you some of the strategies. It's on my Slanted Inc. website.
Oh, wonderful. People will look forward to that, I'm sure. I always feel the teachers and librarians always need all the help they can get or find. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another series of attractively illustrated books you've written explores backyard biomes. What's a biome? And what do you hope children will learn when they work through the series about the forest, the desert, the ocean, and other natural wonders? Well, a biome is a geographical area that has similar plants, geology, weather, those kind of things. And so that's why, you know, your, your desert environment is different from your ocean environment and rainforest, tundra, mountain. There's a lot of biomes. I only did three. But I've got in the back of those, there's a section that tells the child how to make their own backyard biome so that they can become more aware of their environment and what's in it. And that's kind of why I wanted to do those. That's nice. I like that because I think also maybe part of that can be also how we, we can protect the environment, what our responsibility to the environment is. You know, that's a, that's a good move. Good point. Yeah. Good point. You, I wish I'd put that in there. <laughs> well, maybe you can the next one or something. Because, next I mean, one. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating. I mean, I, I was looking at those and I just thought, this is really wonderful. It's teaching me so much. You, you also write for a blog named A Song of Six Pens. Please tell us about the blog and what kind of writing you contribute to it. Well, the six pens are six writers. There were six of us in the group and everybody's published writer. We've been together quite a while. We also critique each other's work. But we started the blog partly for promotion, you know, as authors, but also to help other writers with, you know, what we've learned, pass it on. My favorite part is interviews. I do a lot of interviews with authors and illustrators. And so that, yeah, I think people are interested in authors, you know, what their real lives are like and, and how they got to where they are. So I like to do that. Well, that's wonderful. How can we find that blog? It's uh, songofsixpens.blogspot.com. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah. But I think if you just Google Song of Six Pens, you'll find it. You'll find it. Yeah. Here's another book is, that you, you wrote. It's called Coping with Sexism and Misogyny. You've written it for teens. It's a, it's a powerful guide. I, I mean, I worked through that one. What advice do you offer teens to combat abuse? Well, this was a book I did for hire, which means... The publisher gave me a list of the books in the series and I could pick which one I wanted. So I picked this one and I had to do a lot of research for it, which was really interesting. But I think my best advice that came out of the research was not to fight it alone and be a little more aware. I think kids aren't aware how much sexism really goes on. They aren't aware that it's sexism mm. and they need to be more aware of that. There's a group called... MVP, Mentors in Violence Prevention, that a guy named Jackson Katz developed. And it's to help bystanders who might be seeing some kind of sexual abuse to intervene and help. But the biggest advice is just don't fight it alone. Get help. That's, that's the best advice. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I picked that up from the, from the very beginning. Oh, I mean, I, I would encourage people to take a look at that. It's very upbeat looking. I mean, it really, it, it's... Uh, I mean, you want to you want to keep moving through the pages. There's so much good information. And oh, good. It, and it good. Also, and I've got you know Beyonce's in there, and I got some you know famous people quotes from right. them and everything. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, what kind of skills would you like writers to learn from the activities you offer them in 
photo plots, how to write great photo inspired books and stories? Well, photo plots is a book I wanted to write for a long time. It's, it's got a lot of the basics in the first two chapters. So it's really good for beginning writers and maybe seasoned writers that need a refresher, you know, just want to go through the basics again, but it's how to build uh, strong characters and believable settings and how to plot. The emphasis on the is on the plot. I made a template inside that you fill out. There is a photo that I wrote a short story from using the template so that you can see how that would work. And then I gave a photo to three other writers and they each wrote a story around that photo. So it also tells you how to take a photo and, and make a story from it. So, and, or you can, you know, use it to help writer's block if you need to. So that's what it's for. And I had a lot of fun doing it. There's like 60 photos in it and there's a whole page, two pages of resources in the back. So it's a good, like a um, resource book for writers. I would that's say. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of the motivation from the, from the photos. I mean, that, that really is powerful for me because sometimes you just, you need something to stimulate the idea and it can't be called inspiration. It's gotta be something very concrete. And so mm -hmm. that's why, that's why I like, I like that whole concept. Yeah. And it's fun. You know, it's fun to write from pictures and you really are amazed what the brain does and how I, what I kind of ideas you get. It's oh, that's wonderful. really you know, interesting. One of your most recent co-authored books is every time I read this, I want to smile. <laughs> My underpants are made from plants. I mean, that, that title alone is gonna draw everyone right to you. Um, what do you hope young readers will learn from this experience? Okay, well, this book, thank you, I, that was my idea for the title. And I wrote it with a co-author. She had an idea for maybe how to lay it out and where to go with it. So we decided to work on it together. It tells kids where things come from. You know, if you ask a kid, where do your socks come from or your t-shirt? They'll say, you know, the store or Amazon or Old Navy or something. And so this book tells you that it comes actually from a plant and how the process is of taking the fibers and going to the factory and everything. So each of the things that we talk about is uh, natural resources mostly. Uh, and we try to make them fun. So the titles of the chapters are things like there's bee spit in my honey because bees actually have a section in, it's like a stomach, an extra stomach, and they regurgitate that out when they get back to the hive into another bee's mouth, which I never knew till I did the research for the book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have, there's bee spit in my honey, there's beans in my chocolate bar, there's tree sap in my bike tires, just, you know, to get kids to laugh a little, but also have fun while they're learning about natural resources. So that's what the book's for. Terrific, I love it. It's so upbeat. I mean, I just, uh, I love it when we can go to kids with something so entertaining, but at the same time that they're learning. And yeah. I think as a, as a librarian, you must have run into that an awful lot. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, you know, that's what we, we want to do. I think as, as good teachers too. Here's another one of your books, Achoo. <laughs> the picture book. Bless you. <laughs> the picture book you co-authored with Lana Wayne Kohler is a lot of fun to read, but your main character deals with a problem that many children will find familiar. I mean, I believe this. So what do you think? Well, the book is about pet allergies, and Lana actually has a lot of allergies, and one is to pets. So the book is her idea, and 
we're in a critique group together. She's also one of the six pens. And we used to drive out uh, to the meeting together and she was talking about this. And so I said, well, I, I got some ideas and I was pretty good at rhyming. And Lana was a, a newer writer then and hadn't worked on rhyming yet. So she said, would you like to write it with me? So that's how we got it going together. But the little boy wants a pet really bad, but everyone he brings home, his sister sneezes. So there's repetition all the way through the book. It's all in rhyme. So both of those are really good pre-reading skills. And then we added the alphabet in. So first he gets an antelope, then a bobolink, then a cat, then a dog, then an emu. So it's, there's a, another layer there of the alphabet. And then a, one of the, a teacher came by one time and bought the book at one of our book signings. And she said, you know, this teaches empathy because this little boy really wanted a pet, but he wanted to find one that wouldn't hurt his little sister. And she said, it's hard to find those books. So for any writers out there, if you can teach empathy in your books, teachers really appreciate that so that they can use it in the classroom. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. I hope a lot of people listen in. Sure. Uh, you, uh, you offer readers a, a unique experience in another book, Who Sees You at the Zoo? And it has to do with technology. What can young readers and their providers actually do while reading this book? Well, I, this is one of the things with self-publishing. This is an independently published book. And I originally didn't have this technology in it, and I was able to add it in. So when you do self-publishing, you can change your books, which is something you can't do with traditionally published books. So that's, that's kind of fun. Um, but I added QR codes in. And each of my pages say things like, who sees you at the zoo, who's black and white and eats bamboo? Well, the answer is a panda. I turn the page, it says a panda. And then underneath it, I put a QR code. And if you scan it with your phone using a QR code app, you can see and you can watch an actual video about pandas. I tried to use, you know, like National Geographic videos, as many as I could. So it's, it's got that extra educational interactive element to it, which I think is really different. Oh, very. I mean, it's, it's unique, I think. And I mean, I'm sure that it, it's that business of entertaining while learning, you know, I mean, to be able to see that panda there and then think back to what you, what they just learned as readers. I think that's, that's terrific. Yeah. It's, it's a great thing to do. I know writers come to you for help. Uh, after all, you establish and manage two-for-one kid critiques, your editing service. So please explain to our listeners what an editor does and what a critique is. Okay, well, um, two-for-one started with my friend Jean Danu. Um, she kept bugging me to start a critique service, and I didn't really want to do it by myself. So one day she said, why don't we do it together? So we formed a partnership. And our hook is that you get two critiques from two published authors for the price of one. So it's a little bit different. And then we do a collaborative summation. You know, we talk over the book and, and add that in. So writers actually get a lot more. And what we critique, we don't do the editing grammar, kind of copy editing. What we work on is story arc, plotting, character development, pacing, setting, all of those elements that make a good book. 
And then we offer a revision service also. And a lot of our clients take advantage of this. And we have a lot of repeat clients, which made us feel like we were really making a difference. <laughs> so that was cool. And we're still getting them. We started in 2016 and we've been pretty steadily busy ever since. When you say kid critiques, are you doing mostly picture books? Um, we do a lot of picture books, but we do all the way, we do board books, picture books, early readers, middle grade, and we've done some YA. We don't list YA on our website, but we do do it. And we would do even do adult. We do, we sometimes go project by project kind of thing. So we tell people we can, you know, we would be willing to work on anything, but we focus on children's work because we're both children's authors. That's wonderful. So there are just two of you then. That's the staff. There, there are two of us. Yes. Okay. No, I'm glad to hear this. I mean, because I have, I have works in progress and uh, I'm in a writer's group and that helps a lot, but eventually you have to give it out, you know, to someone and just say, please work through this for me. And, you know, tell me what I need to know, you know, and I think that uh, all of those aspects of, uh, of plotting, et cetera, that you just talked about are so important to all of us who write. And we, we get a lot of new writers who don't realize that they need more of a story or their character needs to change. You know, they, they haven't gotten far enough along in the journey or learned enough yet. And so I, I don't know, it's, we've also learned a lot about our own writing. You know, we're telling people these things and then we look at our work and go, oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I need to work on mine. You know, it's, it's been a big help. I was just going to ask you that, as a matter of fact, because I find that every time when I, in my own teaching, let's say at the university, when I was grading those papers or whatever, you know, what, whatever they wrote for me, I would always, I use post-it notes in my response. And I remember looking at them and thinking, well, wow, that's something I can learn from, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever the skill was that I was pointing out that needed a little bit more help, you know, so no, I can understand that. But I, I like two for one kid critiques. And how can people get a hold of you there? Well, we have a website, type in two for one kid critiques, and we've got everything there. We've got our rates on the pages and our how to contact us and everything right there. Wonderful. So, through the website, yeah. Okay, okay. I hope people take advantage of that. I wonder if storytellers also come to you for help. Given the storytelling skills and programs you're known for, you also taught a college course in international storytelling. Oh, I love the sound of that. Why did you become such a devoted storyteller? Well, it was part of my job as a librarian. When I first went to Cuyahoga Falls Library, where I worked, that was my first library job, they did storytelling there and I'd never done that before. So I had to learn what it was all about. And then Kent State used to have this wonderful storytelling festival, storytelling festival. Do you remember that, Tony? I, yes, I do. Yeah. I and I, we, yeah, we got to go. I don't think they do it anymore, but I met some wonderful professional storytellers and I was just enthralled and it's, it's such a fun thing to learn. It's, it's like performance art is what it is. But you also learn how important story is. It's the core of everything. Everything starts with story. And, you know, there would be no movies, no books, nothing without story. And if you think about it, you do that all day. You tell what happened to you last night, what happened on your vacation. It's all story. But you also have to connect with your audience. That's one thing I learned, but you know, that translates into writing because if you don't connect with your reader, they're not going to read your book. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it really taught me a lot. 
and I did a lot of tandem storytelling, which is with two people, and that's kind of like acting. Um, I did that at both libraries, also at Stowe with another person. And it's a lot of it's based on fairy tales. And so you read a lot of fairy tales. <laughs> no, I bet. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But you know this from working on, on Virginia Hamilton. You know, there was, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I remember Joseph Bruchak came the one year. And I just think he's fabulous. Fabulous. So, yeah. 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 He, I, I got to know him a little bit and he, he is really a remarkable human being. No, I know. Oh, I bet. Uh, yeah. I, I pretty much spend my time with fairy and folk. That's where, I'm enhancing those stories, reimagining them. At right. I, I've learned so much and I've learned so much about culture from that as well. You know, yes. Um, yes. I was thinking about, um, you know, asking you what kinds of stories do you, do you most like to tell? Probably the, the folk tales. I like the kind with a twist at the end or maybe something that would make the kids gasp. I have, a story, well, it's not a storytelling stick, but it's a walking stick that I found at a craft show and it has a face carved into it, like a, a wizard kind of face. And I used to use it, I would put a piece of cloth around the face so they couldn't see it. And I tell this story about a wizard who um, he wanted, the, it was a tree that grew chocolate. I made this story up, but <laughs> just so I could use the walking stick. But he, ended up kidnapping all the children and putting them with a magic spell inside the tree so that he could have all the chocolate. And the parents called the wise woman out and she came down and she tricked him into touching the stick and he disappeared and it opened up the tree. And when the kids came out, they said, where did the wizard go? And then I would take the cloth off the stick and there he'd be just as he held you captive inside the tree so he is held captive now in the walking stick <laughs> and then you'd see this face and the kids would go oh you know that that was so much fun and i had one little boy one year i, I think he was like second grade and he looked at me very serious and he said is he really gone <laughs> I thought, wow he was really engaged in this story yes i guess so when you are able to do that you just feel so good you know feel like you know, you I, guess, yeah. Yeah, I love that and i like how you said that uh it also helps you to, to, to think about when you're writing your stories because that's you know you're looking for that same kind of vivid not not only vivid portrayal but also that kind of attraction you know mm -hmm. and that really matters to me yeah. um I'd like to ask you what children and teens often ask me, what is the easiest thing about writing for you? And what's the hardest thing? There is nothing easy about writing for me. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely zero. But in thinking about your question, I think the hardest probably is revision, especially if you have to do a lot of it. I mean, I like the process in a lot of ways, but after you've done it, over and over and over and over and over it gets it you know you you get tired of it <laughs> so i would say that's the hardest part it's the most productive and it makes everything better but it's hard it's hard work it's very hard work yeah i like um you know when i was at kent state i i was uh, working with the um the national writing project and we bring teachers in for the summer for about a month or so and one of the things we worked on was the whole idea of how to ease yourself into revision and also how other people can help you. So we would, we would have to do a lot of fishbowl 
kinds of conferences with one another in front of each other to try to understand how we could get kids to see that as well so that they they started seeing that revision was also very much a part of the process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that uh, if somebody if somebody talks to you about your writing they can find things that you didn't know a weak character something that doesn't make sense you know and that type of thing and and it, it took a lot of work for all of us to come to the, the realization of what led us to revision is basically what I think I'm talking about. And then it was, mm-hmm. it, it taught me a lot. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm in two critique groups and I don't know what I would do without them. I, I wouldn't advise any writer to go it alone. You need those other eyes on your work and other expertise really to help you. And it makes everything better. You know, well, that's, so, that's so good you know. to hear because one of my questions to you was, what advice do you have for expiring writers? Right. And that's one. If you can find a critique group and take their advice and don't, you have to have a little bit of a thick skin, <laughs> yeah. you know, and realize that, that not the first draft isn't necessarily the last draft, but it's very valuable. I think too, the other thing is to learn your craft. I know I spent a lot of years doing story hour reading books to kids and I thought I could write picture books very easily because I'd been reading them to kids for so long. Mm. And that was one of my dreams. I wanted to be, I wanted one of my books to be read in story hour. So that's, that's mm. come true with Achu. But I think if, when I started out, I thought I could do it easily and I couldn't, I had to learn, even though I'd been an English major and I had some training I had to learn my craft. I had to learn how to build characters and settings and all the stuff. It's, um, there's a lot to learn about writing and how to write well. So I would say learn your craft, uh, get a critique group. And a piece of advice I got from Linda Sue Park, she's a Newbery winner. She reads all of her manuscripts out loud and she does middle grade. So it's a lot of words. <laughs> Picture books a little easier, but read them out loud. Always read your manuscripts out loud. You'll catch mistakes and redundancies. It's a, a very good advice. Wonderful advice. I love hearing that. Yeah, on your website, you mentioned that you recently became represented by an agent. Could you explain what an agent does and why having an agent is so important to you as a writer? Absolutely. Getting an agent was one of my goals as a writer. There are a lot of the big publishers now do not take what we call unsolicited submissions, which means you write a book and you just send it to a publishing house, to an editor. Very few of them still do that. There are those that do, but it's hard to get into the bigger houses. And many of them will say, we only take agented submissions. So in order to get more opportunities to get published, an agent is what you need. But you can't just hire an agent. Uh, you have to submit your work to them. And if they like your work, they will hopefully offer you representation. So I was lucky enough this year to find Heather Cashman. She's with Storm Literary Agency. And she read my middle grade verse novel. And she said it made her cry. <laughs> and, and I went, yes, that's what I wanted. <laughs> you know, when you get the response that you, you planned on. But she, you know, we talked a long time and she offered me representation. So she is currently sending out, um, she helps me edit my stuff also. Not a, every agent does that, but Heather does. And she keeps in touch with me a lot, which is wonderful. 
And she currently has three of my books out on submission. So she has sent them out to various publishers. And I've gotten some rejections, but they've been wonderful. Like, I'd like to see more work from Gloria, or she it's written beautifully, but I can't take it right now, things like that, which make you feel good, even though they're rejections. But she's going to keep working on trying to sell my books. So that is why you want an agent. They do take a cut, you know, a percentage for doing the work if you sell the books. So they really don't get any money until they sell your books. But so, it's well worth it to have an agent. If you want to make your way to the world of the traditional publishing houses. Right, yeah. Because I know at the beginning, for when I published my first picture book, I co-authored mm-hmm. that with my Greek colleague, and we did exactly what you just said. We, we sent it out unsolicited. We just sent mm-hmm. it out, you know, to many different publishers and reject and reject it, reject it, and then Simon and Schuster took it. But you can't do that anymore. Well, you can. I think it's getting harder uh, because so few of the houses do that anymore. Now, Achu uh, was picked out of the slush pile, as was My Underpants Are Made From Plants. We had it in an e-library in a database for a while through Schoolwide Inc. So we, you know, we were successful, but that's been five years ago. So just in those five years, I think it's getting harder without an agent to get into the houses, some of the houses. Yeah, I think that's so true. Speaking of which, what projects are you, <laughs> what projects are you working on or planning to work on these days? You just, you talked about a verse novel. You want to give us the title of that or do you want to hold on to the secret of that book? Oh, no, it's called Sky Blue. It's what I call my heart book. I don't know if you have a heart book, but it's one that you really want published. It's partially a little bit my story. It's about a girl whose dad died in combat, who was in the military, and her mom has remarried a guy that she doesn't talk to. So the mom is kind of the buffer, and he doesn't talk much either. And then uh, she and her mom get in a car accident, and her mom's in a coma. So the story is basically about Skye getting along with the stepdad, who she calls Dim Tim, because he just doesn't get it. Uh-huh. So, but I did it in verse and I, you know, I've reworked it a lot. It's gotten, gone through a lot of edits, but um, that's the one that, that made my agent cry. <laughs> so oh, okay. it's, it's kind of pulls on your heartstrings, but. Um, and what is it called again? Sky Blue. Sky Blue. Okay. And I don't know if it'll get published, if they'll change the title. You know, a lot of publishers change your titles. You, it's, yeah, uh, it changed a lot of things, but. I would like it out there because there really are no books that I could find that were for kids who had lost their parent, one of their parents, in combat, in a military conflict. Um, My dad died. He was in the military. He wasn't in conflict when he died, but he was during World War II and Korea. So I think there are kids out there. I wish I had had a book you know, about somebody else who was going through this. I didn't know anybody who had lost their dad who was in the military. And now they have camps that these kids can go to. I have that in in the back matter of the book. Mm -hmm. So there's just no books out there for kids who've lost a parent in the military. So I think, you know, it would be something that's needed to be out there. I was going to say it fulfills the need for sure. Mm -hmm. Because I talk in the book about some of the things that, that the kids can do to help with the guilt and the anger and the there's a lot of anger 
uh, even, that your parent left you, even though you know in your head that they didn't do it on purpose. It's, you know, I, I had to work through a lot of that when I was growing up and I didn't have any help. So that's why it's my heart book. <laughs> it's a little oh, bit about me in there. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. And then I'm also working on, I don't have this out to Heather yet, a biography of James Anthony Bailey, who oh. of Barnum and Bailey. Oh. Yeah. I know I say James Anthony Bailey and everybody goes, who? And then I have to say Barnum because <laughs> all the books are about Barnum. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Two more this year about Barnum. Yeah. And there are no books about Bailey. And he was an extraordinary man. Uh, he stayed behind the scenes. But I really want that book out there because I think people should know what he did. And it's a good model for kids. He worked his way up from, he was an orphan. And then he was an abusive home and he ran away. And he became a multimillionaire and owned the most famous circus in the world for a while. And he did it all because he worked hard. That's so it's, I think it's a good story. So are you, are you writing this in prose or poetry? I'm not doing poetry. I'm doing a picture book right now of it. I don't know. It may end up in middle grade. I don't know where it'll go, but yeah. hopefully this year we'll get it figured out. Because <laughs> I, I care about that book. I'd like to get it out there. They, people need to know about him. He was a great guy. I can see why. I'm just now beginning to think about a, a writing a biography and I've never done that. So I think one of the things that we can tell aspiring writers is to read in your genre. Absolutely. So yeah. In other mm -hmm. words, like I, I started looking at picture book biographies because that's what I want to do. And um, it's a challenge. It is. Yeah. You need to know what they're supposed to look like and the length and the word counts all that stuff, it's important to know before you start in. I know. And then just the research, to me, the thing that I would love to come to your writing group and find out from you, <laughs> <laughs> well, rather, is the whole idea of where do you begin? You know, which, which aspect of the life do you start writing about? Yeah, and that's been hard. I've started three or four, or maybe five different ways with James Bailey, and I'm trying to find the one that works the best. It's yeah. hard. It's, it's hard. hard. It's hard, yeah, yeah. because... I mean, especially if it's a picture book biography, biography, you're trying to do an entire life, you know, so mm -hmm. what, which aspect of the life? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking now of uh, Martin Rising, which is Martin Luther King's life in a sense, but mostly in his earlier days, I believe, you know, that Andrea Davis Pinckney. Mm -hmm. I went back to that a couple of times because I thought it was fascinating of how she was able to do so much with so little. Yeah. You know, and, yes. it's, and it's in verse too, which is also pretty powerful. Yeah. We're going to come to a conclusion, I think here. And I'm just so, I'm just so joyful that we had this conversation because I just feel that getting to know you and you as another writer, you're very encouraging. And I just appreciate that so much. I, I'll tell our audience that uh, they can learn a lot about Gloria's life and her work when you visit her website, www.gloriagadams.com. And there's a special gift waiting for you there. Gloria <laughs> is giving away a free digital downloadable copy of Blue Paints My World, her rhyming picture book, which is totally delightful. Gloria G. Adams, thank you once again for spending time with me today with us, with all of us. It's been a joy and very inspiring to talk with a talented reader and writer and an advocate 
and also a curator of words and ideas. I wish you so much. And I know I'll be seeing you because we go to the same conference and we right. pass around with some of the same people in the, what is it? The North Ohio Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, that's, that's how I got to know you. And, um, right. and also I sent a copy of a chew to my great, great niece. And you signed it with Lana. My niece wrote back to me and said, she adores this book. And she loves, she loves to say some of the words out loud when I'm reading with her. So that's a nice oh, success story in New Jersey. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so take good care, Gloria. And thank, thank you. So you. And thank you so much for having me. I really I appreciate it. Well, I just love it. I'm so glad that we'll spread the word. Take, okay, thanks, take Anthony. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.